All right, if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 13 through 29. The message is entitled, The Straight and Narrow Way. The Sermon on the Mount is a contrast of citizens of the kingdom and those who profess to be in the kingdom. Jesus says some very key things. If we are citizens of the kingdom, then the characteristics of spiritual character will be evident as he has given us on, on the Beatitudes, chapter 5, verse 3 through 12. Unless our righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, we by, while by, with no means enter the kingdom of God, he said in chapter 5, verse 20. And we're to seek first the kingdom of God in his righteousness, then all these things shall be added unto us in chapter 6, verse 33. Now, today, as I look at the church and Christendom at large, the collective body of the, of the church, I see many subtle, troubling uh, inconsistencies. Not only did I mark them in 1992, last time I taught Matthew, but more so now, as we are progressively moving to a more pagan society in America and a church that is preaching a counterfeit gospel. And so we have to be discerning. The broad gate of hell is being confused for the narrow gate of heaven. The confined and compressed road of Christ, which leads to life, is being broadened by alternate choices of behavioral modification rather than biblical transformation. And that's quite inferior to biblical transformation, behavioral modification, the sciences and our behavior and all that. The many on the road to destruction are being identified as the few on the road to life. And we're not to judge with critical, sincerous spirit, as he will tell us at the beginning of chapter 7, but yet we're to make judgments between sin, right and wrong, and the hypocrite and those who are false. So that scripture is always given to us by people in the world. Well, you, the Bible says you should not judge. Well, look at the context of what it's saying. You have to make judgments. You make a judgment every time you drive. Is it a red light or a green light? Simple. Whether you're going to make a deposit, add it, or you're going to write a check and subtract it. You make judgments every second of the day so that you are not in danger. Very simple. And we're to depend on the Lord, asking him for everything and trusting him, as he'll say in chapter 7, verse 7 through 8. Now, Jesus, coming to the end of the Sermon of the Mount, brings it all together as he addresses his disciples about the kingdom and the life of the kingdom here with judgment. It all has to do with judging things according to God's standards. So... We want to look at the words of Jesus regarding the judgment that must be made to enter the kingdom of God. It's characterized by three things. Let me read here verse 13 down to 29. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, and wide is the gate, and broad is the way, the least of destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because uh, narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, 
every good um, tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree, bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your names, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will like him unto a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like that foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was his fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The words of Jesus regarding the judgment that must be made to enter the kingdom of God is characterized by the following. First, we have the invitation to enter the kingdom, verses 13 and 14. Secondly, the caution while on the way to the kingdom, 15 through 23. And thirdly, the examination whether you have entered the kingdom, 24 through 29. The invitation to enter the kingdom comes first. Look at verse 13. Jesus declared there are two gates. First comes the narrow gate. The gate is ordered to be entered into. Mark it well. Enter the narrow gate, an imperative command in the era's active tense. The, this indicates an act of making a decision in a moment. The emphasis is on immediacy to enter. The gate may not always be there. We assume that opportunities always going to be there, whether it be business, whatever it is. No, there are window times. Once they close, they're gone. The gate is narrow, notice. There is just enough room to enter in by God's righteousness for our justification based on what Jesus has done for us, dying for our sins, tasting death, and risen from the dead. The old King James calls it the straight gate. I like that. There are conditions placed on a person who enters this gate. Repentance from sin. It's grace through faith, but it's repentance from sin. There will be concern, responsibility, accountability, self-examination to enter this gate. This gate, by the way, people don't just drift into, but they enter only by responding to the gospel. Then you have the white gate. In verse 13 there. This gate is not commanded to be entered into. Notice that. But simply because all humanity is born and drifts into this gate by birth. There are no restrictions placed on the person regarding this gate. The gate is wide. There is plenty of room to walk and enter through with anything and everyone. You can do whatever. There is no concern. 
no anxiety or examination of self to enter in. Then notice in 13 also, Jesus declared there are two roads. The broad way, and I'm not talking about shopping. The word broad means spacious. There is ample room and space on this road. There is even the sense of being secure due to its vastness. This Broadway is lined up with the wide gate. Very important. Then there's the narrow way in 14. The narrow means straight in contrast to the Broadway. The narrow way is confirmed by the word difficult. It means compressed way. This is the more confined, restricted, or limited way. God's way. There must be vigilance and diligence to travel on it. This narrow and difficult way is lined up with the narrow gate. Then Jesus declared that there are two companies. In 13... And in 14, in 13 first, there are many who go in and enter the wide gate, traveling on the broad way. These are born into the world as sinners. You and I were born from our parents, and if our parents were not Christians, our parents were lost, and so were we by the very fact that we're sinners. We are born into this state. We drift into this gate and this broad way. We are living after our sin nature. Then there are the few who go in and enter the narrow gate, verse 14. These are traveling on the difficult and confined way. We have to be born again. We had to make the decision of entering in. By the grace of God, discovering the gate by trusting and abiding in Christ Jesus, as Jesus said in John 15, verse 4. He told his disciples, he went from the illustration of branches. He says, and any man who does not abide in me shall be cut down and cast into the fire. From the illustration to the application. Who was he talking to? The dirty dozen. His twelve apostles. No one else around. Study the context. Now notice Jesus then declared that there are two destinies. The wide gate and broad way leads to destruction. This is the reason for the imperative command to enter the narrow gate. Because a person is being led consistently and progressively to their destruction and demise and deception. You and I used to be there. Whether we were highly educated and highly moral or ethical, it doesn't matter. If we weren't born again, we were lost. We were in our sins. The word destruction means perdition, utter ruin. It never means annihilation. Many people say, well, you know, really, when we die, we just cease to exist. No, no, no. You will live for eternity. Some person told me one time, I said, well, I can't even imagine living for eternity. I said, well, you don't have a choice. 
All you have is where you're going to spend it. That's the choice you have. You're going to live for eternity with God or separated from God. God does not decide that. You do. This is the participle in the present active tense, literally leading to the destruction, the destruction, the article indicates the harmful quality of life while living in the world without Christ. Notice the context regards two things. The lack of spiritual life by having no relationship with God, being dead in trespasses and sins, living contrary to the word of God, Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. According to the prince of the power of the earth, children are disobedient by nature. Also, the eternal separation from God, the second death in the lake of fire. Isaiah twenty-eight fifteen says this, Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death and with shield, we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it will not come to us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. Wow. People make conscious decisions about not walking with God, not believing God's word, knowing that it declares judgment in the end. Jeremiah 21 8 and many other passages speak the same. Now look at 14, the beginning. The narrow gate and confined way leads to life. Here's the contrast, the choices. The person is led consistently and progressively to their life with God. As you, if you've made a decision, you have walked with God for a certain number of years. And you can see the contrast between light and darkness, the way you used to live, the way you live now. The word lie, Zoe, means the state of one who is, uh, uh, is possessed of vitality and fullness of life, both essentially and ethically, which belong to life. That's the definition of strong concordance. Now this is also a participle in the present active tense. Literally. Leading to the life. The life. Again, the article indicates the beneficial quality of life. That begins while living in the world. It begins here. There was a time, a place where you entered that gate. And your life changed and you're living in the light of Jesus Christ and you're living abundantly. You understand what life's about. You can see a two-way street. Before, without Christ, you only saw a one-way street. The context notice regards two things. The possession of spiritual life by having a relationship with God. Having made us alive together with Christ by grace, being saved living according to God's word in Ephesians 2, 4 through 8. Dead in transparency, but God. Incredible little verse, but God. Wow. Then also the privilege of living in eternity with God ultimately. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15 and 16, and many other places in Scripture declare the same thing. It says, see, I have said before you today, life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. Do you not do that as a parent to your child? I want you to study. I want you to work hard. I want you to do good. I want the best for you. I want you this. Don't hang out with these type of people. Don't go here. Don't go there. 
That's what God does to us, ladies and gentlemen. This is what God declares to the whole world. And sometimes our children listen, and sometimes they don't. And when they don't, are you happy? Say, yeah, that sucker deserves it. No, you're broken hearted because you love them. This is God. Notice Jesus declared there are two decisions then. In verse 13, those who enter by the wide gate, there are many, underline that, who go in by it. These are persons rejecting the gospel message of salvation through repentance. These are persons embracing a self-directed life, seeing no need of Jesus. I don't need Jesus. He, I don't believe he's God. I don't believe he's the Messiah. You know, just, you're, just, you're out of your gourd. The majority of people, many, will choose this wide gate and broad road that is leading to destruction by their own decision. It is a strong warning to all who do so. The gate and road does not need to be searched by the way or found. You're born into it. Study the text. Look at 14. Those who enter by the narrow gate, these are persons believing the gospel message of salvation through repentance. The person embraces a God-directed life with Jesus Christ by the grace of God, the illuminating, convicting work of the Spirit of God through the gospel. The minority of people are these. Few who find it will choose this narrow gate and difficult way leading to life. The word fine is a participle indicating perception of what is discovered by grace. The gate leading to life, a present active tense. It must be discovered by the grace of God, the illuminating work of the Spirit of God. This gate and way is found, as I said, by discovery, by the grace of God. Placing this gate before a person to enter while there is time. There's only set amount of time. There's a certain number of days that God has given to you and to myself. I am running out of time. <laughs> I've got more time behind me than before me now. When I first started, I was your pastor 30 years old. I was kind of in the middle, I figure. A little bit under, perhaps. Now, I'm... I'm, I'm back heavy, you know, I'm, I'm going forward. This gate and way is found, again, not by accident, but discovered by the grace of God. In fact, it says, and, it, and if it seems evil to you, Joshua is speaking, to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua twenty four fifteen. This is as they're going into the promised land. We used to serve the gods on the other side of the river. Now, what are you going to decide? You make a decision. You know, an old 
gold miner went to Colorado and struck gold. But later, that gold mine, the vein, ultimately was lost and dried up. And so he sold it for pennies. The new owner hired a geologist. The geologist told him, just dig a few feet this direction and that he would find the vein again and it was bigger than ever before. So many people are like that regarding the gospel. They just, maybe this far, but they miss it. It's like when you go shooting, target shooting. It doesn't matter if you miss the bullseye by a mile or a hair's breadth. You miss the bullseye. If you didn't hit it, there's no sense bragging how good you are at missing it or how close you were. No person is excluded from knowing the way. John 3.16 is evident. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everybody knows that verse, even non-believers. You got the gospel in a nutshell right there. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father by me in John 14.6. Now, not many people believe that. Not everybody believes that. They believe he's a good man. They believe he's a good teacher. They believe he's a prophet, but not the Savior of the world. And therefore, they reject the gospel. No person is forced by God to choose one or the other. He respects human will and choice. Um, in the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. We use this for evangelism, but really the context is Jesus has been kicked out of the church. Laodicea was a legitimate church with Hierapolis and Colossae in the Trilicus Valley. And he's asking individuals to take him back in. The church kicked him out. He says, now, individually, you can ask me back in. Wow. Once again, Jesus said on the door, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastures in John 10, 9. He offers us the best. What is wrong with God offering us the best, wanting the best for us? Why, do we, why are we so stubborn? Why do we reject this soul? Because of our heart. That's really wicked. Evil. No person can avoid the destiny of the way and the gate they choose to walk down. And Mark 4.24 says, Then he said to them, Take heed, listen, what you hear. Do you examine what is said over pulpits, over the radio, over TV regarding Christianity? What you read? Or do you just swallow it all? What you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you and to you who hear more will be given. And then in Luke 8, 18, Jesus said, Take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has, seems to have, will be taken away from him. So not only what, but how do you hear? Do you hear with the understanding that's for obedience? Not just for head knowledge? Hmm. Paul speaking to the Galatians in Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that he shall also reap. 
For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit of the spirit will reap everlasting life. It's a choice, ladies and gentlemen. It's a decision that everyone has to make one way or the other. You see, no person should ever confuse or be deceived about proper association of the way and the road they are traveling and the gate that it's lined up with. Luke 13, 22 to 24 says, And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then one said to him, to Jesus, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to him, Strive, agonize, to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter in and will not be able. Not because God didn't predestine them, it's because they keep hardening their heart like Pharaoh and they get to the place where then it says, and God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. He respected his choice. The more you reject, the harder it is to come to God. Simple. He respects your choice. So this is the invitation to enter the kingdom to all. None is excluded. None is excluded. Notice next comes the caution while on the way to the kingdom, 15 through 23. Jesus pointed out in 15 to 20, there are those who sound and look like prophets of God, but are not. These men are identified as counterfeit prophets. Beware of false prophets. The word beware, you know, simply means to take heed. Another imperative present active command. Literally, keep holding your mind from or watch out for many imperatives in this chapter. The warning is now expanded to those who proclaim a false gospel. Today, there is more heresy and false gospel teaching taught within the church than outside the church. False prophets passing themselves off as God's prophets, counterfeits. They're not proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, nor are they in the kingdom. They're out to deceive those walking towards the kingdom and those who hear the gospel of the kingdom. These men disguise themselves, listen, who come to you in sheep's clothing. They appear to look like sheep. They are in the midst of the sheep, but they are not sheep. These men, in all reality, are very, very dangerous. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. Ravenous means rapacious. Ravenous, roaming predators. Motivated by self-interest, self-gain and self-exaltation. And as you look around and you listen to a lot of the stuff that goes on via radio or churches or television, I am appalled of what is being taught and the thousands that follow these men and these women. Amazing to me. Their goal is to deceive spiritually, to take advantage and merchandise and destroy the sheep being enemies of God. 
Jesus speaks about it later on in Matthew 24, 4 through 11, Acts 2, 24, 2 Peter 2, 1, 1 John 4, 1, and many, many warnings. They will have large, many shall follow them, Peter says, from within the church. These men are known by their ungodly nature and life conduct. Look at 16 through 19. In 16, their identification is marked by their methods that are contrary to the kingdom, not lined up with the narrow gate or kingdom. You will know them by their fruits. Their fruits is their doctrine and teaching and life conduct. Today, the most popular is, we're all inclusive. We just love one another. We don't judge. Well, you're, you're an egghead. You're dangerous. Don't you make a judgment when you go to a stop sign, whether it's red or green or yellow? Don't confuse the colors. If you're colorblind, just know that with the position of the red on top, yellow, and then green at the bottom, you make the wrong decision. You're not going to get home. The tense is the indicative future middle voice. The person would be the one recognizing them when they come because they know God's word. They'd enter the right gate. The quotation that follows is rhetorical. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? There's only one correct answer. No. If you say yes, you fail Bible. Illustrating their contrary nature to the narrow gate and difficult way, being able to recognize them as false prophets. People get upset me when I mention names like Rick Warren and Brian Broderson and many others. Why? Don't you as a parent warn your child, I, want, I don't want you hanging around with Billy, you hear me? If I see him, you're going to be restricted. Is it because you hate your son or, 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 or you know that Willie's not a good company for your son? You're there to protect your son, right? Simple. Sheep are to be protected by the shepherd, not merchandise. If you are around such men long enough, you will see they are not consistent in their biblical standard or the principles by which they live. Notice the amplification focuses on the distinction of kind, quality of fruit produced, a good and bad tree. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Verse 17. So if you have a cherry and an apple tree in your backyard... Your cherry tree may be a cherry tree, but it's a bad tree. It doesn't get, produce good fruit. But it's true to its nature, right? So the emphasis is on the quality here, the nature of it. The explanation is indicated by the nature of the tree. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Nor can a cherry tree bear apples. The conclusion in 19 is the certain judgment of the false prophets, the ravenous wolves, the bad tree, 
It's to fall under the fiery judgment of God. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You see, these men are conclusively known by their fruits. Look at 20. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. The person who manifests and affirms the nature of the gospel, the narrow gate, difficult way, is God. God sees everything. People are deceived if they don't have the word of God to judge by. God sees everything, but sometimes people, they, they're ignorant to the word of God, so they can't make those judgments. So those who have come to God, they've entered the narrow gate, they're traveling on the difficult way, and that leads to life. So they're able to drop that plumb line, the word of God, and say, yeah, that's the biblical. That, no, that's not biblical. This guy is a true teacher of God. This guy is not. You're supposed to make those judgments. Don't get caught up by the first uh, uh, two verses of chapter 7. That's critical, sincere spirit. We'll get into it more tonight. People, the non-believer always say, see, the Bible says you're not supposed to judge because it'll come back to the same way. It's talking about critical, sincere judgment. You find fault in everything. We're to judge sin. We're to tell people they're headed for hell. We're, that's the message of the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. And so the person who manifests and affirms the nature contrary to the gospel, the wide gate and the broad way, is not of God. Their teaching is not always wrong, by the way. As the Pharisees, they were teaching the law. But they were not being doers of it, hypocrites. Their words, deeds, and lifestyle and false doctrine will result in God's judgment. Jesus said regarding the religious rulers, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. Matthew 23, 3. So a person can be teaching, right? But, like the Pharisees, but they thought it was just legalistic and mechanical and didn't realize that the law was spiritual and they weren't doing it from the heart and they weren't dealing with their heart. They were self-righteous saying, well, I've never literally committed physical adultery, but they've lusted after many women. And so they didn't see that as part of it. God searches our heart. He deals with us. Look at 21 through 23. Jesus pointed out there are many who, who say they are serving Jesus but will never enter the kingdom. In 21, they profess Jesus here. But they will not be in the kingdom of God. Because they're not doing the will of the Father. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. These men use the name of the Lord to validate their genuine deceptiveness. These men are not doing the will of the Father, but their own deceptiveness towards the sheep. This is the first time Jesus is indicated as Lord. 
and the Son of the Father in Matthew. He is the authority of the Sermon on the Mount. He is the one who has full authority. Notice in 22, the manifestation of the supernatural in the name of Jesus does not guarantee entrance into the kingdom. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? They will stand in the day of judgment, the white throne judgment, and attempt to defend themselves. Many will say to me, in that day, that day is the white throne judgment in Revelation 20. They will point to all the supernatural things they were instruments of and for God in his name. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, three times in your name, emphatic. The adjudication of Jesus will be pronounced as a divine judge. Look at 23. Jesus pronounces the verdict. And then I will declare to them, the word declare is a legal term that's associated with trials and judgments, Acts 24, 14, and 1 Timothy 6, 12, to mention a few. The indicative future indicates the white throne judgment, the final judgment here again. Jesus will say, I never knew you. Their words and deeds did not deceive Jesus. The supernatural works were used by God sovereignly for the love of the people and the honor of his word above his name. There are people who preach the gospel and many people come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, but they will not inherit the kingdom. Wow. Shocking. Jesus will say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is an imperative, present, active command to depart to eternal damnation. I cannot imagine more horrific words than depart from me. Depart from me. The implication is they're shocked. They are punished for deceiving by their evil character, practicing lawlessness, evil, being a law to themselves. You know, when soldiers walk across minefields, they pay very close attention to how and where they walk, knowing that they don't know where, but every step is a potential danger. So they have to remember completely and cautiously everything they have learned and taught to get through that minefield. Too many people make no judgments about people's teachings, people's characters, anything else. Hey, we're one big happy family. Well, we're one big family, a sinful family, but then the family gets divided. Those who belong to God and those who belong to Satan. Two families. Which one you want to belong to? If you've just drifted in, born into this world, and you're not a Christian, then you belong to the family of Satan. Read First John. I used to belong to him too. 
But if you've been born again, now you belong to the family of God by His grace. The warning against false prophets and teachers runs throughout the Old Testament, as you know. God compares His word to wheat and all else to shaft and commands the sentence of death for a false prophet uh, who would lead the people astray, particularly Deuteronomy chapter 13. Jeremiah chapter 14, 25, 29, Zechariah chapter 13, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, on and on and on. Warning. All the warnings are to Christians, not to non-believers. The warning of deception is to Christians. Now, Paul told the Ephesian elders, Acts 20, 29-30, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves, will come in among you, not sparing the flock, also from among yourselves. Men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after themselves. These are the elders of Ephesus. He spent three and a half years with them. He's prophesying about them. Wow. Their destiny is the lake of fire. John confirmed the judgment of false prophets. Listen to him. John the Baptist, and even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly cleanse out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. He said that in Matthew three, ten, and 12. The judgment of God. The false prophet and antichrist and the worshipers will end up in the lake of fire. Revelation 14.10 says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out in full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the Lamb, or his angels, his holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb, Revelation 14.10. Satan is not king of hell or the lake of fire. Jesus is. It's a place of punishment. Not reward, ladies and gentlemen. Get your theology straight. The scriptures tell us to examine our lives. Paul tells us to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith, lest we be disqualified. Second Corinthians thirteen, five through six. And Paul advises every one of us to be good Bereans in Acts seventeen eleven to examine to what we hear and what we're being taught, whether it is so God's word or not. This is the caution while on the way to the kingdom. It's a real caution. Notice third and last, the examination whether you have entered the kingdom in 24 to 29. 24 through 25, Jesus identified the wise man. The wise person is the one who hears and obeys the words of Jesus. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, he has entered the narrow gate. He is traveling down the difficult way. 
The wise person is compared to being strong and stable. The image is vivid and clear. Listen, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. They have been born again. They are trusting Jesus and his word. Even as he said in chapter 5, 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven by the grace of God. The wise person, notice, will be tested throughout life. Have you found that to be true? <laughs> by the strong storms that will come into life. Some of you maybe are going through it right now. It is a horrific storm you're in. A testing. And the rain descended, the floods came, the wind blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Verse 25. The test is certain. Their house stands in the storm of life. Because it's founded on the rock. Their obedience to God's word is a foundation for the coming storms. Matthew 5.20 says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. The rock, his word, the person of Christ, obedience. Then in 26 and 27, Jesus identifies the foolish man. This is a contrast. The foolish person is the one who hears but doesn't obey the words of Jesus. But everyone who hears these things of mine and does not do them, he is still on the wide gate, the broad way. He's being led and headed down to destruction. The foolish person is compared to being deceived and in danger. Will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. They're not born again. They're not trusting themselves to the words of Jesus or Jesus himself. But deception. James 1, 21 and 22 says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. But he uh, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only deceiving yourselves. Satan can deceive me. The world can deceive me. My flesh can deceive me. Sin can deceive me. And I can deceive me. Whoa! A lot of people think they can deceive me. How am I going to judge? By the word of God. The plumb line. Look at 27. The foolish person will equally be tested throughout life by the storms of life. And the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it, and it, fell, uh, it fell not and great, I'm sorry, it fell and great was its fall. Here's the big contrast. The test again is certain. Their house falls in the storms of life. Their obedience to enter the narrow gate is their weak foundation for the coming storms. And great is that fall. Underline that. I don't know if you've heard about soil liquefaction or um, liquefaction. One of the two. Either one. It describes uh, something that is set on, it seems to be on solid ground, but then um, the, 
soul gets saturated and, and it loses its solidity because of the quaking and, and oscillation, maybe earthquakes or whatever, and the water that is way down there starts oscillating upwards and all of a sudden it becomes liquefied and the structure just falls. Such is the case with those whose house is not built on the rock. It seems to hold up until that trouble, the earthquakes and the oscillation and the jarring, and it falls. James 1, 23, 25 says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty continues in it. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. This one will be blessed in what he does. The word. Jesus. Solid rock. Where are you at this morning? Are you on the rock or sand? The storms are going to come. And they do come. Look at 28 and 29. Jesus now is identified as superior to the scribes here. This is actually the summary statement of the Sermon on the Mount. The people hearing Jesus responded to his teaching in 28. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, and rightly so. Jesus ended his sayings. This this saying is phrase is stated five times. Gives a natural division, one of the natural divisions to the Gospel of Matthew. 11.1, and 26.1. That's the four other ones. The Sermon on the Mount was for his disciples, not the crowds. Read again chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. The crowds are in the backdrop. The Sermon on the Mount contains the truth and principles of the kingdom for Christians to be lived out here on earth, not the kingdom. Here, the kingdom is present and yet to come. The kingdom's in the midst of you, Jesus said. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The people in the backdrop listening were, in, were awestruck. The word astonished means struck with amazement, dumbfounded at what is teaching. Dedeki means the instruction or doctrine taught by his disciples. Why is there such a disdain for doctrine today by the pulpits of America and the pastors of America and the quote-unquote Christians of America? Why are they so opposed to doctrine? If you have doctrine, you can have no judgment. It's just neutral. Dangerous. Dangerous. The people acknowledge the words of Jesus, notice, as authoritative, distinct from other men. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The scribes were referred to past rabbis. Jesus took five examples. You have heard that it has been said. But then he said, I say unto you. When you read critical commentaries or any commentary or you hear any pastor or any teacher, listen to what he says and see if it lines up with, I say to you. That's the ultimate authority. 
One day the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee and the wind came up and they all were terribly afraid. And Jesus said to the wind, be muzzled. And they all said, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Mark 10, 39 through 41. This is the power and authority of the creator and savior of the world that can take a person and forgive them of their sins and make them a child of God through the straight and narrow gate. The Proverbs personify wisdom, as you know, as a woman who is calling on the simple and foolish young person, but that young person is refusing to hear in chapter 1 through 9 of Proverbs. Proverbs 122 says, How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity for scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge? In fact, the woman wisdom says, You know, I call, call, you reject me. One day you will call upon me and I will laugh at you. It'll be too late. The window closes up. The wise is contrasted to the fool by um, as he obeys and stays clear of the areas that they have been warned. The Proverbs are great instruction. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you so that you incline your ear to wisdom and imply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her for as hidden treasures, then you will be have understanding and the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. This is Solomon pleading with his son, Rehoboam, who was a fool. Hmm. Have you entered the narrow gate? Are you walking the difficult and confined way? If you are, you're doing well. You're living abundantly. You can clearly see light and darkness. You can worship the Lord for his mercy and grace over your life and knowing that he wants to use you to reach others. Are you hearing and obeying Jesus the way? The storms of life are many and no one has any idea of what the future holds. Some think that certain things will never happen to them, but they will and they do. The regret of being sexually permissive and the consequences such as unwanted pregnancies, STDs. By the way, many young people, be careful who you kiss. There's, it's an epidemic of sexually transmitted diseases. We're not even talking about them. And the, many are, are, are being contacted orally because of all that's going on. You be careful who you give a face plant to, Okay. The difficulties of explaining many of these things to your future husband and wife when you have to enter to have a family. Let alone other things. The drugs, the alcohol. The condition of unequally yoked marriages and you think you know better and you get involved with some. Then they're in drugs and alcohol and here you are in a messed up marriage and now you've got children. The disappointment of un an unfaithful mate. But if you're on the rock, you have to deal with those things 
based on obedience to God. The news of fatal disease, of tragic death, the heartache of rebellious children, ungodliness, broken heart, the pressure of earning a living, being the head of your home, husband, a father, a mother, a keeper of the home, to care for your husband, your children, protecting them, being contrary to the world. They mock you. They call you a fool. But God calls you wise. Wow. Who is sufficient for these things? No one but Jesus. Now unto him was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church of Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Ephesians 3, 20-21. Wow. This is the examination whether you have entered the kingdom. What gate do you associate with? Does it line up with the right road? It's important. These are the words of Jesus regarding the judgment that must be made to enter the kingdom of God. Characterized by these three things. The invitation, the invitation here to enter the kingdom is for all. The caution while on the way to the kingdom is real. And the examination whether you have entered the kingdom, only you can make. To make sure that you don't deceive yourself. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, your goodness. We thank you for this morning. We pray for every person here over the internet and the radio. You will deal with their hearts. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you have never repented, you've never entered in that narrow gate, then God offers that to you this morning. To repent of your sins and ask Him to forgive you by grace through faith, trusting what He did for you on the cross and being raised from the dead. Maybe you're out there in the world somewhere and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're religious. You can call upon Jesus right now by repenting of your sins. This is a simple prayer of repentance if you want to be born again. This is your prayer to him, not to us. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. I accept you. As my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.